In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. I was in the marching band when I was in college. That meant there was something to look forward to almost every weekend from September to November. We would rehearse two hours a day, Monday through Friday, and then at 8.30 a.m. on game days, on the turf, in the stadium. The football team at Indiana was never much to look forward to. My senior year was Indiana's 100th year of football, and we had a new football coach, Bill Mallory, who had 99 career wins. That's right. The new coach was to get his 100th career win in Indiana's 100th year of football, and the team lost every game. <laughs> Despite that record, the band got to perform in front of about 50,000 people, although less as the season went on, at every home game. We went to one away game each year where the crowds were larger. In those days, 96,000 at Ohio Stadium and 104,000 at Michigan Stadium. Our halftime show was different for every home game and we worked hard to do it right. And of course, we looked forward to those football Saturdays. They were long, tiring days, but they were a lot of fun. Like most of you, I have not performed in front of over 100,000 people since college. After college, you may still look forward to those football Saturdays, but not in the same way. In fact, much of life is pretty low-key compared to a Big Ten football Saturday. Those were the glory days. And what about you? Did you have glory days? Are there times of your life you long for again? Times of excitement? Maybe the birth of your children? A vacation to a tropical paradise? Perhaps going to a place like Mount Hermon? Maybe you have something on your calendar right now that you look forward to. Whatever it might be or might have been, today's readings remind us that in Christ, the best is yet to come. We're nearing the end of the liturgical year, and the readings point us toward the end. The end of time, that is. But the end of time is, of course, the beginning of something else. And it's that something else that is the best that's yet to come. Each of today's readings presents the end of time in a different way. In Amos, it is called the day of the Lord. In the letter to the Thessalonians, it is the coming of the Lord. And in the gospel, it is the coming of the bridegroom. As usual, we'll look at each of these. First, Amos, the day of the Lord. This is the only one of the three readings that puts the end of time in a negative way. The reading starts with a negative word, woe. The prophet says, woe to those who want the day of the Lord. Why, he asks, would you want that day? It is darkness, not light. He says that twice. He gives two metaphors to emphasize his point. It's like a man who runs away from a lion only to be met by a bear. It's like leaning up against a wall in your home where you think you'd be safe and comfortable and being bit by a serpent. These verses show that the people were unaware of the pickle that they're in. They're going through the motions of religion. They're hosting religious feasts. They're holding solemn assemblies. They are making burnt offerings, cereal offerings, and peace offerings. But these offerings are nothing. Their songs are just noise. They are being religious without being righteous. They believe all is well, but they're really just going through the motions. 
Thus, that, that which should be light, the day of the Lord, that is, the end of time, is instead darkness, not something to look forward to. In contrast to those Amos is speaking to is the church at Thessalonica. There, St. Paul is calming some confusion about the coming of the Lord, that is, the end of time. The concern is the dead in Christ, those who have fallen asleep believing faithfully. Have they missed their chance at the coming of the Lord? No, St. Paul writes, they have not. In today's reading, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. What Paul is describing will not be a low-key event. There will be a cry of command and an archangel's call. And if you somehow miss that, there will be the sound of the trumpet of God, not a quiet little visit. And if the noise weren't enough, the dead in Christ, those who have fallen asleep, will be raised first. Those who are left alive will join up with the dead in the clouds and meet our Lord in the air. Sounds like quite a thing, doesn't it? Sounds like something to look forward to. Archangel calls, trumpet calls, the faithful dead alive meeting in Jesus in the air. Let's look forward to that. And more than that are these comforting words at the end of the reading. We shall always be with the Lord. Dead or alive, we belong to God, and we will be with him. St. Matthew's Gospel today brings the Amos reading and the Thessalonians reading together. You've probably heard me say before that the world can be divided into two groups of people, those who divide the world into two groups and those who don't. The gospel reading divides the maidens into two groups, five wise and five foolish. It's not a stretch to say that the Amos people are like the foolish maidens and that the Thessalonians are like the wise maidens. All the maidens, both groups, are going out to await the coming of the bridegroom, that is, the end of time. Both groups take lamps, but the foolish take no oil, and the wise do take oil. The bridegroom is astonishingly late, something we can relate to here at St. Michael's. And both groups sleep. At midnight, there's a cry, and the coming of the bridegroom is announced. This is the moment they've been waiting for. Indeed, this is the moment we're all waiting for. There's a dialogue between the wise and foolish maidens. The foolish want the wise to share their oil, but the wise refuse and tell them to go buy their own. While they are gone, the bridegroom comes, and those who are ready to go with him, are, and those who are ready go with him to the marriage feast, and then the door is shut. The foolish come back and want in. Lord, Lord, open to us. I don't know if you've ever noticed but people in the Gospels who say, Lord, Lord, not once but twice like that, things don't end up so good for them. And that's the case here. The bridegroom says, I do not know you. The foolish maidens were waiting alongside the wise maidens. They were all looking forward to the coming of the bridegroom. They had lamps, just like the wise maidens. They slept, just like the wise maidens. What they were not is ready. Of course, this is not about being prepared. That's the Boy Scouts, not the church. 
This is about being ready. In the previous chapter, Matthew 24, look at what our Lord says. Because wickedness is multiplied, most men's love will grow cold, but he who endures to the end will be saved. There's a question I often like to ask groups of inmates in jail or prison. I like to ask them if there's anything they would like to accomplish before the coming of the Lord, as it's called in Thessalonians, the coming of the bridegroom, as Matthew calls it, or the day of the Lord, as it's referred to in Amos. Whatever you might call it, it is, practically speaking, the end of time. What would you like to accomplish before that happens? It's a trick question, and I tell them that, and then I ask it again. What would you like to accomplish before the Lord returns? Some of them mention that they'd like to prove to their families that they can live rightly and faithfully outside of jail. Others mention that they'd like to be back with their wives and children and watch their children grow and mature in the Lord. Still others want to get a job and show others that they are good workers. Remember, I had told them it was a trick question. They'd all missed the point, hadn't they? In 2007, there was a movie called The Bucket List. Do you remember that? Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman are terminally ill and head off on a road trip with a wish list of to-dos before they die. Now, any movie with Jack Nicholson is usually worth watching, but the idea behind this movie is the same as my trick question to the inmates. What would you like to accomplish before the Lord returns? Most people's bucket lists are quite different from the inmates. They usually involve travel to exotic places or perhaps daredevil things like skydiving. Sometimes the to-dos are rather mundane, like learning how to make a cheesecake. Whatever is on the list of things to accomplish before the Lord returns still misses the point. A man who spent 14 years in prison that I never met was Richard Wormbrand. Wormbrand was a Romanian Christian minister of Jewish descent. In 1948, having become a Christian 10 years before, he dared to say publicly that communism and Christianity were not compatible. As a result, he experienced imprisonment and torture by the then communist regime of Romania for his beliefs. He and his wife Sabina, who had also been imprisoned, eventually emigrated to America and dedicated the rest of their lives to publicizing and helping Christians who are persecuted for their beliefs. He wrote more than 18 books, the most widely known being Tortured for Christ. He founded the international organization Voice of the Martyrs, which continues to aid Christians around the world who are persecuted for their faith. He died in 2001. Wormbrand is quoted by Rod Dreher in his recent book, The Benedict Option, a book Father Doran was talking about earlier this fall in the adult forum. Once he was free, Wormbrand wrote that there are two kinds of Christians, those who sincerely believe in God and those who just as sincerely believe that they believe. You can tell them apart, he says, by their actions in decisive moments. Two groups, just like the maidens in our gospel reading. Those who sincerely believe in God and those who just as sincerely believe that they believe. Let us look forward to the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, the coming of the bridegroom. And when the end of time comes, may our Lord find us on the right side of belief. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.